Welcome to Knowledge on the Go, the podcast brought to you by the PI Collaborative team at Vizient. I'm Courtney Fro White, Performance Improvement Director here at Vizient, and your host for today's episode. Today, we'll be talking about the explosion of digital technologies in the behavioral health space. This is a timely and important topic because the COVID pandemic has really amplified all of the problems we already had with disparities in access to mental health care. For example, the pandemic has tripled the already high numbers of people suffering with things like depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and has significantly added to the wait list for treatment, missed and delayed appointments, and the tens of millions of people with behavioral health issues who are going untreated each year in the U.S. But along with all the problems, the pandemic has also transformed healthcare with a new era of telehealth, remote monitoring, and home care with more and more use of computers, the internet, mobile phones, and many other digital solutions. So with the technology genie out of the bottle, so to speak, today we are talking to our resident expert on all things technology-related, Dr. Joe Cummings, to hear what he thinks about digital technologies for behavioral health. So, Dr. Joe, let's find out what you know. Welcome to the podcast. My pleasure, as always. So, let's start with the basics. What do you mean when you say digital technologies? Digital technology just means any product that runs on some kind of computer and has an associated software component. So, for example, this would include things like your smartphone apps, AI algorithms, virtual reality technologies, computer games, and programs like chatbots. I really like that term, chatbot. What is a chatbot? Think like Siri or Alexa and all of those may I help you pop-ups that you often see on shopping websites. So chatbots are just computer programs that are able to hold a conversation with a human user. And it can be using voice, but most of them nowadays use text. Typically, these chatbots are based on a form of AI algorithm called natural language processing with sentiment analysis. And some are capable of pretty realistic, interactive, and personalized conversations. Okay. So let's delve more into the potential application of digital technologies in behavioral health. What are some of the use cases you've seen? For starters, just as a point of reference, it's actually been estimated that there are more than 20,000 different digital mental health products out there. So it's a pretty big and broad field. Wow, that's a huge number. It is, but most of these products are pretty simplistic and the vast majority of them are your mobile phone app-based wellness products. So these mostly do things like promote mental well-being or facilitate relaxation. Some also do things like coaching, affirmations, and guided visualizations. But mostly they just focus on things that clear your mind and help you relax. That's interesting. I think our company actually pays for employee access to one of these wellness apps as a perk. That's right, they do. And incidentally, employee coverage and, and self-pay are pretty much the main reimbursement mechanisms for behavioral health digital technologies at this stage. But there's also some more advanced products that fall under the category of what I'd call digital phenotyping. So these are going to be a step up in complexity in that they do some of the same stuff that the wellness products do. But in addition, they also begin to capture some information about you related to your mental state. So for example, they might track things like how you're feeling during the day and maybe even things like your sleep quality, your exercise habits, diet, maybe even some physiologic parameters. And then they combine and use all this data to identify any potential problems related to your mental health. So when we finally get to the high end of the digital phenotyping application, you start to get into what you might think of as actually a true medical device. So in this case, for example, an app might use a chat bot to present a scientifically validated mental health assessment questionnaire and then it uses that to make a diagnosis. 
And there are some chatbots like this that have been used for screening and diagnosis of things like anxiety, stress, depression, and PTSD. Whoa, hold on. I can see a potential problem with this application. What if the chatbot gets it wrong and it misses someone with major depression or suicidal ideation? So that could be a really dangerous outcome. And that's why the digital phenotyping app is still controversial with some surveys showing mental health care professionals pretty much split on whether or not it's a good idea to do. So because of this, most of the apps in this area tend to have a bunch of disclaimers against use in major depression. And the better ones are quick to recommend that you seek treatment if there is any hint of bigger issues. But some of the other problems with this use case is that it really relies on the self-disclosure and the truthfulness of the user. So while human questioners can usually subjectively judge the truthfulness and the completeness about what they're hearing, computers aren't all that good at reading between the lines just yet. The good news is that some of the literature shows patients may actually be more likely to open up and, and tell things to a chatbot, things that they might not even tell their therapist. On the other hand, there's also some data in the literature that shows diagnostic accuracy is lower when patients report their own symptoms compared to when a therapist enters the patient's symptoms. So this kind of suggests that there's a weakness in the underlying programming and that it has some trouble translating from the common speech into technical concepts. Sounds like a lot of potential problems and a lot of work yet to do on these diagnostic apps. Agreed, but I, I just reiterate that this isn't really unique. It's the same kind of issues you have with most innovative emerging medical technologies, mostly in that for new medical devices, you need to have rigorous clinical trials to prove safety and efficacy. You need to have FDA approval for a well-defined indication, and you need good patient selection criteria. But that said, I'd, I'd just like to go back to why we need these technologies in the first place. And that is, as you know, there's a real shortage of mental health services in some places and scenarios. So in this case, the true comparator may not be the app versus the therapist, but it would be the app versus nothing at all. So these apps may have a real advantage in getting at least some care to people who may not otherwise get any care. So Dr. Joe, you're saying the question really should be, is some interaction better than nothing. I think so. In some cases, I think that's the best we can do. But on the other hand, maybe because of all the potential problems that we've mentioned, I think another one of the use cases that you're going to see are these apps being used by patients while they're currently being seen by a professional. So by keeping the therapist in the loop, you kind of mitigate some of the safety concerns. In the AI field, we, we call this augmented intelligence, where the AI algorithms aren't intended to replace human intelligence, but rather to augment it. So here we're really talking about technology supporting the therapist and helping them to make their therapy even more effective. You mentioned FDA approval, which brings up a good question. How are these apps and chatbots regulated? Unfortunately, most of the wellness apps aren't subject to any FDA approval because they technically don't make any overt health claims. So they're going to be sold direct to consumer, and the only regulation they have is really in the App Store guidelines. But again, if, if the product is going to make some kind of medical claim, it'll fall under the FDA regulations for software as a medical device, which generally means it's going to be a class two device, and that's subject to the FDA de novo or 510k approval pathways. So far, there have only been a handful of behavioral health apps that have actually achieved FDA marketing clearance that I know of. For example, there are a couple approved apps for substance abuse disorders, another one designed to improve attention in ADHD, and there's also another couple that, that help with sleep disturbances and insomnia. 
Just as an aside, though, there's also another interesting point to be made as far as FDA regulation, and that is that during COVID, pretty much all of the FDA oversight of these types of products was temporarily suspended. So just like for a bunch of other medical technologies, back in 2020, the FDA released a guidance that allowed for emergency use authorizations. But in theory, when the pandemic is over, the old rules are going to apply again. And it's really unclear how this transition back from pandemic rules is going to work. And I think there's going to be a lot of chaos here. The FDA cleared apps you just mentioned are very interesting. How would you categorize them? So these generally fall under the category that I'd call prescription digital therapeutics. Uh, And this is an area with a lot of potential for value. So as you can kind of tell from the name, they're designed to provide some sort of therapy, and the most common apps like this provide some form of cognitive behavioral therapy. So imagine using chatbots for the conversational element, and then an underlying AI-based program to deliver the elements of cognitive behavioral therapy. I guess the million-dollar question is, do they actually work? Great question. So if you look at the clinical literature, there are actually a bunch of studies going back over the last 20 years or so, with most of the studies using some form of computerized cognitive behavioral therapy, and most of them are targeted at depression. So in one example, there's a meta-analysis out there that included 32 different randomized controlled trials of the technology, and it found a pretty large treatment effect in favor of the technology over controls. But drilling down a little deeper, what's mostly been seen is that when the controls are weightless patients, the comparative symptom improvement in mild to moderate depression can be pretty significant. Uh, But when the control group is face-to-face therapy, the benefits are a little less clear, although there, there are some studies showing comparable outcomes here too. Another big evidence limitation is that there's a real lack of studies comparing digital cognitive therapy to medication therapy, and this is an important comparison to do. So it seems like these digital therapeutics could be really helpful in targeted applications, like to assist patients with self-management of things like anxiety and mild depression. But what about the mobile apps? Okay, so if you're looking at just the smartphone apps now, I'd say the data is still in early stages because we're really talking about less than 10 years of availability and, and maybe only about five years since the first chatbots and then since apps are you know, incrementally improved over time, the latest generation app may have only been out for maybe a year or two. So in one recent systematic review, they noted that only about 2% of behavioral health mobile apps have any kind of evidence backing them. And then it's usually just a single feasibility study. So if you're trying to look at the data for any single product, especially some of these newer chatbots, I'd say there just is not enough high quality evidence yet. What you'll mostly see are a few studies that show intermediate outcomes like acceptability, usability, the dropout rate, and patient satisfaction, but there are very few good sham-controlled studies looking at efficacy outcomes. I'd also say that as these texts go for FDA approval and they try to increase their marketing to the provider community, I think you'll start to see some more better quality studies. And this may be because you know the evidence is how they'll try to drive their sales in a crowded market. Also at this stage in development, what I'm seeing now is that there's a lot of venture capital pouring into some of these companies, and I'm hopeful that some of this will be used to fund their research studies. If these become widely available, it seems like they could really change the behavioral health paradigm. Exactly. And I think it's going to really transform this paradigm going forward into the future. So for instance, this could be the way to help the huge number of folks who suffer in silence you know, and never seek help because of the perceived stigma of mental illness. 
It could also address workforce issues like the serious shortage of mental health care professionals. In addition, I think it could provide an option for the middle of the night 2 a.m. panic attack where you can't just call your therapist. But the biggest advantage, I think, is that the technology is just so easily scalable. And by that, I mean that, you know, once you've developed the software, you can distribute it out to as many users as you want without much increase in your operating costs. So this ability to scale, it could go a long way to improving the disparities in behavioral health access. So we're talking about being able to provide an option to the rural patients where they may not be a therapist anywhere nearby. And we know that rural areas also are hard hit by the opioid epidemic. And similarly, there are those in cities who lack transportation and the means to get to and pay for services. So I think that in these kinds of cases, we have a lot of potential for moving the needle and increasing access to these underserved populations. So far, everything we've talked about smells like roses. What about the downsides to digital technologies for behavioral health? Thanks for bringing this up because I I don't want to make it sound like these are the be-all and end-all solution to everything. I think we already mentioned some of the possible harms where because of the technology, somebody with serious mental illness either delays or fails to get more intensive help. Again, this is why there should be good research up front and a slow and controlled rollout for some narrowly defined applications. I should also mention that there are still a lot of bugs to work out on the software side too. For example, chatbots are not that good at interpreting things like sarcasm, hyperbole, and and colloquialisms like smells like roses and things of that nature. So this can lead to confusion where the chatbot may go down the rabbit hole with some pretty irrelevant conversations. Also, sometimes that chatbot can get kind of repetitive, like they're stuck in a loop, and this can be really annoying and time-consuming for the user. So all of these kinds of issues tend to make the chatbot feel inhuman, and this can lead to a, a high attrition rate, where some studies have shown more than 90% of users quit using the app within the first month. Then there are a bunch of other problems that are common to the use of AI, like the potential for the app to develop a racial or gender bias that can affect the accuracy and efficacy of it. And then there's also the whole issue of whether a computer can even establish a bond with the patient or show the empathy that's really needed for successful therapy. Finally, there are some very negative preconceived notions people have about AI that's unfortunately usually derived from sci-fi movies. Are we talking like HAL in the 2001 Space Odyssey? Yeah, like HAL or or maybe Skynet in the Terminator. These movies have, have made people very afraid of AI. But for what it's worth, I don't think we'll have AI with human level intelligence or consciousness for at least 20 years or more. So I guess we still have a couple decades to get ready for that. Hmm. I think we should stop our conversation here before we go down that rabbit hole. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Knowledge on the Go. And I'd like to thank Dr. Cummings for speaking with us today. And thank you to our listeners for taking the time to join us. And please look for future Knowledge on the Go podcasts. For Vizian's PAD Collaborative team, I'm Courtney Fro White. Please join us for more Knowledge on the Go. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments at pi collaboratives at vizianinc.com.